Chapter Twenty Five of The Last of the Vikings by Johann Boyer, translated by Jesse Muir. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Twenty Five. That evening, when Kristaver had put his fish on board the trading vessel, he asked the skipper if, for a good sum of money, he would take a sick man to the hospital at Kabelvog. The skipper, however, was going south to Olesund when he had his cargo on board. And did Kristaver imagine that these were times for carrying about sick people? No, perhaps not. He went to several trading vessels, but was only laughed at. A sick man! They would soon all be ill, the way they toiled and worked night and day, but all the same everyone had enough to do in looking after himself in times like these. You'll have to look after your sick man yourself, old man. The evening was calm and frosty when the men sat in the plank hut eating their supper. On the rock outside they had boiled fresh fish, for they had firewood now, and numerous fires burned along both shores, where boats' crews were at last having a hot supper. A candle end in the neck of a bottle lighted up the hut, and at last the men's hunger was appeased, but they hardly dared to utter a word. They knew that Elesus had inflammation of the lungs, and he was now so ill that they were dreading the night. He was their neighbor at home in their poverty, and here he was their comrade. Lars noiselessly cleared away the cups after their meal, and the men remained sitting on the benches and chests. Christaver had hinted that if Elesus was no better in the morning, they would have to make up a bed in the boat and take him in to Kabelvog. The others said nothing. They had had a good supper and could hardly keep their eyes open. They would have liked to lie down and go to sleep if their comrade had not lain there close to them, wrapped in skin rugs and talking confusedly. Something seemed to be always rousing them so that their eyes opened wide. Elesus was scolding his wife, or he laughed and joked with her. At one moment he was ill-natured, and the next good to her. His sea-boots projected from beneath the coverlet. They were probably frozen stiff, and perhaps his feet were wet. But it would be no end of a business to get those big boots off the feet of a fever-stricken man. The little door was lifted to one side, letting in the frosty mist, and Peter Shusansa entered in all his sea-clothes, southwester and big fingerless wooden gloves. Round his throat he still wore the bandage that the doctor had put on, and over it a red woolen scarf wound several times around his neck. He came from the cold winter night outside, with its stars and streamers of northern lights, but in this tiny room he was met by a stillness as of a sacred place, and he stood still without speaking. At last he whispered, How is he? Christaver looked up and shook his head. The five men sat there with southwesters and woolen gloves on for the cold, but they said nothing. There was nothing to say. Peter advanced to the sick man and bent over him. He saw that they had tied his gloves on with string round his wrists, and the strings of his southwester were tied beneath his chin. He looked as if he was ready to get up at any moment and go out with them on the sea. His mouth was open and the white teeth gleamed in the bearded face. 
the old headman began to whisper to him, as one would speak to a child that is to go to sleep. Do you feel bad tonight, Eleusis? The sick man frowned in an attempt to understand, and then opened his eyes and said in a voice that was almost inaudible, I must go to the sacrament. The other men moved a little. Peter Shusansa said, Hmm, and a little while after he said gently that it was a long way to the priest. It's, it's farther to, to pardon, said Alessius. Peter bent lower, and taking off his glove, laid his hand on the sick man's forehead. Are you so very bad then, Alessius? he asked. I, I shall die tonight. Hmm. Peter knelt down. His eyes were on the other man's face, and, as he looked, his own face gradually changed and became a reflection of what was passing through the mind of the sick man. Lars looked at the old headman. Could this be Peter Shusansa, that merry spinner of yarns? He was behaving like a father to Lesus, and his red-lidded eyes were full of concern for him, while the expression of his weather-beaten face was one of peace, a peace that might have come from the singing of a hymn. No one spoke. All eyes were upon Peter Shusansa. At last Kristavish said, It would be no use, perhaps, to, to sail in for the doctor. Hmm. Peter looked up at the others, but no one had anything to say. There was silence again until the sick man said, I, I must get pardon. I must take the sacrament. Again there was a movement among the men, but they no longer dared look at one another. Peter Shusansa raised his head and looked at Kristaver. It was as if the two headmen had been overtaken by a trouble from which they saw no escape. It was impossible to get hold of a priest within a reasonable time, and they looked at one another. It was unnecessary to shake their heads. They sat listening to the sick man's breathing, and the tallow candle burned lower and lower. If only something could be done, said Kristaver at last. The eyes of all the men seemed to be searching for this something, and in a little while Aunt Osan said hesitatingly, if we had been Baptists now. They were silent again. Kristaver passed his gloved hand across his forehead, and at last ventured to say, As far as I can remember from my school learning, any one can... Hmm. Yes, said Lash, who was the most recently confirmed of them all. It says in the Catechism that in cases of need, any Christian... He dared not say more for it seemed pretty well impossible that an ordinary man would be bold enough to give the sacrament. The sick man began muttering again. He opened his eyes and looked about wildly, saying he must get up and go to church with his wife. Come along, Berit. Peter made him lie down again and covered him up. You must lie still, Eleusis, he said gently, as if he were speaking to a little child. But the lessers began again. I must go to church. I must take the sacrament, or else... 
I shall be lost. They sat for a little while listening to his quick laboured breathing. Then he began to sob. There he is, he said. It's too late now. There's no pardon for me. If only I could have the sacrament. But it's too late now. Is it too late? Again they sat silent for a little while, not knowing what to do. They could see that the Lesus had not long to live. At last Aunt Osan spoke. We can't let it end like this, can we? he said. Suddenly Peter raised his head again and looked at Henry Robin, and immediately all faces were turned in his direction. No one ventured to speak, but he felt they had indicated him. Their eyes said, If any one of us is worthy to do this, it is you. Henry lowered his eyes, not daring to look at any one. Would they lay such a burden, such a responsibility, upon his shoulders? But he felt their eyes still rested upon him, as much as to say, We choose you. If any one of us is worthy to do this, it is you. He? Was not he just like the others? He had no more learning and was not pious. He was a poor farm labourer and a fisherman, just as they were. He managed to comb his hair and beard and to wash when the others thought it was unnecessary, and he had a garden at home. He did not fight or drink until he was quite drunk, but that was mere chance, for he would have liked to. If there was any one to whom people behaved unreasonably, he did perhaps take his part, but not so often as he ought. Why should they now choose him? He wanted to rise and say that he was not the right man, that it should be their headman or Peter Jusonsa who was the oldest, but the silence was so profound that he felt he could not break it. All the eyes resting upon him, every face said, It must be you. When the sick man moaned and spoke a few muttered words, it seemed like a warning. Perhaps there was no time to waste, he must make up his mind. He rose, and as he did so he met the eyes of the others, but was unable to speak. He moved toward the door. "'Are you going?' asked Christaver. "'I'm coming back,' Henry replied. He went out and stood on the beach. The night was frosty, and the waves broke at his feet. On the fjord lights gleamed from the ships, and in the sky stars glittered above the white mountain tops. In the west the roar of the ocean could be heard. Henry wanted to move, to walk up and down in order to collect his thoughts and find out what he ought to do, but there was no room. The hut belonging to the sea-fire was close by, and beyond that the mountain rose perpendicularly out of the sea. Suddenly he heard a strange sound from the other side of the fjord, where there were lights shining from many huts. It was singing, the singing of a hymn. He knew now what it was. It was the Methodists holding a prayer meeting before they went to bed. He stood listening. At last he looked up into the clear frosty sky, over which played bright bands of auroral light, and as he stroked his beard he whispered, Forgive me, Lord, if I am doing wrong. 
He turned to go in again, but at the door he stopped, and going round to the other side of the hut, he knelt down in the snow and folded his hands as well as he could with his gloves on. When he entered the hut a little later, the men sitting there saw a strange expression of peace in his face, and he held himself erect and looked from one to the other of them. "'If you choose me for this,' he said, "'I'll do it in God's name. We must remember that the disciples, they were only simple fishermen like us.' The headmen glanced at one another and nodded. No one spoke but Henry felt that all were of the same mind. Lars had a difficulty in keeping back his tears. Something great was taking place. It reminded him of the time when the doctor took out his instruments to operate on grandmother. But no, it was something much greater than that. Henry Robin still stood there. He passed his hand across his forehead and looked from one to another of his comrades. But there is one more thing, he said. If a simple man undertakes to perform a sacred act, he must have a clear conscience. So I'll ask you, comrades, have I done you any wrong? For if I have, I stand here now and ask your forgiveness for it. This was more than Lars could stand, and he covered his face with his hands and turned away, that no one should see that he was crying. He heard his father say, you can be quite certain of that, Henry. You've never done us anything but what was good. Well, in God's name, then, said Henry. It was only now that he began to wonder what he was to use. There was no wine, no proper bread. But there was no time for long consideration. The candle in the bottle burned on, and all sat silent, while Henry opened his chest and took out a small bottle of rigabalsam. He poured a little of this into a coffee cup, mixed a little water with it, and tasted it. He then cut a piece of his own bread that his wife had baked, but after doing so it occurred to him that Elesus had a loaf like it in his chest that his wife Berit had made. It would be better to take that, for then Berit would be with them. With a piece of bread on a pewter plate and a cup in his hand, he then went up to the sick man and knelt down, placing the cup and plate on the floor. Elesius, he said, touching him, do you know me? Yes, said the sick man. We've no way to get hold of the priest, but would you like me to give you the sacrament? Yes. Would you like us to sing a hymn first? Yes. Peter Shusonsa had moved into the background. Henry looked at the men. Perhaps we might take a safe stronghold our God is still. They had no hymn-book, but they knew this by heart, and they sang it. Lars's treble sounded above the others. Peter Susonsa folded his hands in his woolen gloves and sang, and Cornelis Gumon joined in and thought of his old father. The yellow light of the candle shone over the little room and over the men sitting there in their oilskins. As they sang, it seemed to Lars that they were changed, they became disciples, like those fishermen of old. And the hymn was so well suited to their life in these desolate regions, to the dying fishermen, and to those in the cottage in the far south, who would soon be left without a breadwinner. 
When the hymn ended, Henry took off his glove and laid his hand upon the sick man's forehead. "'Is there anything you want to tell us, Eleseus?' "'Yes.' "'Have you done anyone any wrong that we can try and put right?' "'Yes. Give my love to bear it.' "'Is there nothing else?' "'No.' Try and help Berit. We promise you that, Eleusis. Berit shall have food and drink as long as there is any in my house. That's, that's good. There was a pause, and then Henry asked, Do you believe in God, then, Eleusis? Yes. And are you sorry for the wrong things you have done? Yes, oh, yes. After a few moments Henry went on, his hand still resting on the other man's forehead. Then I declare to you, in God Almighty's stead, the forgiveness of all your sins, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. And he gave him the little piece of bread and a sip from the cup, after which they sang another verse of the hymn. They sat silent for some time but at last Ardosan spoke. "'Things won't be very easy for Berit,' he said. "'We must give her a helping hand whenever we can,' said Gristaver. "'Hm,' said the others in agreement. When Peter Jusanza rose to go, he leaned over the sick man and said, "'Good-bye, then, Alessius.' "'Good-bye.' "'You—you you can say I am coming soon.' I shan't be long after you. Turning to the others, he said, Good night, and went out with a bowed head. When the others had sat a little longer, Christopher said that they could go to bed. It would be enough if he sat up through the night. Lars crept under the rug with the others and fell asleep at once, waking only when his father shook him in the morning. The others were having their breakfast. There was no sound from where the sick man lay. He was completely covered with a tarpaulin. "'You must make a coffin, aren't?' said Christopher. "'And you, Lash, must go into Kabelvog with it, and send it south by steamer.'" End of chapter 25